Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Adjust Your Tracking is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes and those of our other shows at theplaylist.net. So Joe, we got the house cleaning out of the way. We descending into chaos today? What are we doing? Things started so good, you know? When? <laughs> when did they start so good? That's a good question. Let's excavate that. Uh, today? Like when we started the conversation? I'm just referencing the movie we're going to talk about tonight. True. Um, it's hard to know when the beginning of the movie actually is. but ah, I think, yes. Oh, ah, I think overall... Um, we're going to be discussing uh, the new film by Gaspar Noe, the 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 film Climax, um, which uh, we've been excited about for quite a while. I had a chance to see it a couple months ago. It was the the opening night movie at Beyond Fest, and got got a lot of stirred a lot of response from people there. Not a lot of vocal response at the time, but apparently there was there were people who were very upset by the film. And mm. for a festival that kind of traffics in the the edgy and the outre like, you know, to to upset that audience that's already a, you know, relatively unshakable crowd was pretty impressive. So um yeah. I think we're gonna we're we're gonna dip into like his work, though we've discussed him at length before, but just kinda how he's a you know, he's a provocateur, he's like he's an edgy, uh kind of like antagonistic filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if, if is that is that is that fair to say? I think so, yes. Um a very and, stylish I mean, filmmaker as well. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a style, he's a renegade filmmaker. Um and so in the in an era of kind of unending kind of uh, claustrophobic antagonism where it doesn't feel like there's any relent and people are at each other's throats at all turns, like, is there a space in art for, of course there is, but like, do people want to make space in their personal life for art that is as openly and nakedly antagonistic as his work seems to be? Mm. You know, it just seems to seems that like the edge that people are have pursued in previous decades is just like there's there's like a a relentlessness about just being awake and alert nowadays, just with like mounting catastrophes and with kind of villainous politicians, not naming names, but you know, just people, (laughs) there's just like a climate of unease that seems to be, that seems to be like Gaspar Noe is directing our everyday existence. So to seek out art that is as antagonistic as the world, we can't seem to escape. It's kind of, it's dicey, but like, he's also a filmmaker that I think, kind of like you mentioned he's like he's a very stylish filmmaker so i think that he leads the charge in innovative techniques of how to make movies but he's never appealed broadly and in a sort of like popular sense like he's he's definitely like an art star in terms of like that and like film festival circuits and like art house theaters and stuff like that right but like has he ever he hasn't ever had had any interest in crossing over so, um, so we're gonna we're gonna take a take a take a dive into his work, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to parallel it with uh, experience I had with an art movie premiere that I went to here in L.A. a couple weeks ago. Yes, 
Paul McCarthy is this like conceptual Los Angeles based artist who, you know, has been around since the seventies and has worked for, you know, like several decades. And in the, in the eighties, kind of in the late seventies into the eighties, he was a contemporary of like Mike Kelly and Raymond Pettibon. And there was like an edge and like a real aggression to like their art and especially like his film art um, made like a lot of, a lot of movies that would play in like galleries, art installations, sometimes with him, like with prosthetics on like, you know, mash he's in like a sort of uh, muddied Santa Claus uh, costume in one of them. And another one, he's uh, fucking a tree. Um, I think there were fake trees. So no actual trees were harmed during the filming of uh, his film where trees are being fucked. Oh, good. But he has, um, has a new, series of like uh, meditations on the wild West and about the origins of America. And they premiered a couple of weeks ago um, during freeze, which is a big arts festival here in Los Angeles. And uh, like the, the one that I stayed for, and there was two, I left before the second one. Cause my company and I were just too traumatized to, uh, you know, like continue for part two, which I think that there was some catharsis in part two, but a part one, uh, it was called CSSC, and the second part was called Dada. But like, uh, it was all takes place in a carriage that's rolling through the sort of like untamed countryside of the Wild West, and there are these archetypes, and they're all crammed in this carriage, and they all start kind of like speaking in non sequiturs and sort of absurd dialogue, and it just escalates and escalates, and there's just a constant feeling of claustrophobia that eventually culminates in them all assaulting each other it becomes very like hypersexual and there's there's like rape um at length and it just felt like there's literally characters named ronald and nancy reagan um so it's like his attack on conservative like ideologies has been in place for decades now mm-hmm. and what conservative ideologies used to represent was a kind of like politeness, which like confronting it was exposing the lie of it. And what we needed to like, what was actually at its heart was kind of violence and, you know, imposition on other people. Now it's just like, all of that is sort of nakedly on display. Like it just seems like there's an antagonism that, you know, right wing and conservative uh, mindsets seem to be completely at peace with, or if not at peace, entirely unapologetic about. Yep. So showing it almost seems to be like, it just became impossibly hard to sit through. Mm, Yeah. And it was just like being confronted with what, uh, like, you know, assault on every level, like assault in terms of nonsense and assault in terms of like literal assault on human bodies. Mm Mm-hmm. It just seemed like with how unapologetic things have become on certain sides of the fence, you're not exposing anything. You're just reinforcing it. And that became an antagonism that was like really hard to endure. Yeah. And so if we can pivot and I should mention there was like a lot of walkouts during the course of this. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm not Uh, surprised. I mean, I suppose that was probably just par for the Yeah, it's probably part of it. And there's something also to like having uh, a sort of like conceptual art film and like how that's that's traditionally played in like a gallery that you wander in and out of. But to sit down and like 
expose yourself to what is typically a, a linear experience of like a beginning, middle and end and an, an entry point and an exit point, but then to sit there and have it meander. And by meander, I don't mean that there was a leisurely pace to it. Cause it was like intense, overwhelming and claustrophobic for 90 full minutes. And that was just part one. Jesus. Part two was an additional 90 minutes, which I think <laughs> had, you know, a score of violence, but so I, I saw a potential like parallel to the claustrophobia and the antagonism that Gaspar Noe typically brings to his work. There, there's an assault that he brings to your senses, yes. to your, your sense of like safety um, in all of his work. And his new film like kind of is, is it's pairs down from like the sort of exhausting running times of his last two films enter the void and love 3d um, which were both two hours plus and this is like a, a lean 95 minutes yes and um takes place uh entirely in a a remote kind of like dance not even it's not a studio it's like a compound yeah like a almost. gym almost or something yeah yeah. Yeah, but it's just like this <clears throat> giant kind of decrepit building that all of these dancers have gathered at um putting together this this big piece that I think they they have the intention of touring and over the course of one night as they're celebrating um like the the creation of the piece someone has spiked the punch with hallucinogens and what starts off as like a a fairly frenetic but you know carefree evening devolves into a nightmare of melting consciousness and hallucinations uh, that essentially plunges all of them, their bodies, their sense of reality into hell. Um, In short, a Gaspar Noé movie. (laughs) No, absolutely. Like, and, and who better to technically kind of just like throw you into the midst of like an evolving nightmare than someone who is as kind of like, uh, athletically equipped in terms of style yeah. than Gaspar No, and uh, well, for for starters, um, let's just see. Like you, like we've been aware of this movie for quite a while. It played festivals last last year, I think. Did it premiere? Cans. It did. Yeah. He was surprised that he, that's what he's been saying in interviews that he actually won directors Fortnite, which was the section of the festival he was in. He won best picture there for that. And I guess he was extremely surprised because he's used to getting a ton of walkouts in his movies and that did not happen yeah. for this booze. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, that festival is sort of like known for getting like mixed ovations and booze. Um, we've discussed Gaspar No at length before on previous previous episodes um but what was like did you have any apprehension going into this one in terms of like your like did you have you liked everywhere he's gone in the previous films and therefore you were excited or were you sort of like i don't i don't know about this um I, what I would was your say, feeling going in? Yeah, uh, probably a little more nervous than previous times to go into a new movie of his, just because you know, Love was far and away his weakest movie. Uh, it's, and I think we did talk about that at length when it came out. Um, that that movie just just didn't work for me, you know. Like uh, seeing it mm-hmm. in 3D, that is the way to experience that movie in 3D in a theater. But even that, like it it. Um, 
I think the weight of all the sort of typical Gaspar Noé elements just just sort of broke that movie for me, where he he's um, typically uses like uh, you know uh, amateur actors or non professional actors. They don't always they're not always able to kind of carry the the movies uh, that he puts them in, yeah. um, and. Also, so that was an issue, uh, and the movie that movie just dragged for me. It was it was too long, you know, and there uh, things like that. So definitely a little trepidatious just hearing like what's it's gonna, what is his next film? But uh, the 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 sort of like complete opposite, almost entirely positive reaction to climax last year when it started making the festival rounds is was like all right, great, like maybe he's done. You know, sounds like he's done something different or. Uh, made something more accessible for for an audience. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I guess I was a little cautious going in, but um, it yeah. did not take long for me personally to just get into this movie because after um, I guess there's like a series of prologues in this movie. <laughs> we should at some point break down the weird structure of this movie, but uh, yeah, it, you know, you you've got this sort of quasi documentary like opening, interviewing all the major characters, so you get a sense of who. Who is who? And then you well, get... Well, that's after even a sort of misleading epilogue. That's so it's like true. the prologue comes after the epilogue, which also it's the epilogue, <laughs> closing credits, prologue, and then titles. That's so true. Like, it's true. He's And in that way, this one speaks most to uh, Irreversible, I think. Like he's using a lot of yeah. similar techniques... Uh, in this one that he did in Irreversible. Uh, in some cases, in some spots of uh, Climax, I felt like he was kind of falling on old tricks, you know, a little bit. But yeah. the stuff that, once you get through epilogue, prologue, you get this incredible, I mean, like a showstopper, like a 10-minute right. maybe long dance choreography uh, all in one take where the camera is doing as much acrobatic crazy shit as the people. Well, the camera's doing incredible stuff as typical in a no way film, but it cannot compete with the incredible human, like the human beings, the performers in front of the camera. These dancers that he found for this movie are like amazing. They're just, they, they, they completely blew me away. They were doing things that I had not seen people do before, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, um, I guess just as things got started, it, that's that might be the most impressive like piece of filmmaking that that Noe has done right there. That da- right. dance sequence is incredible, and I think almost right then is when it clicked for me. I was like, I get why a lot more people went for this movie. Like it actually right. kind of has uh, uh, a happy energy to it, or something that's just purely like entertaining. You know, dance in that way. And yeah. the soundtrack is incredible in this movie from like mm-hmm. it's just wall-to-wall music. Um, of course, it does become, as you said, once that punch gets spiked, it becomes a Gaspar Noé movie. And maybe I'd argue drags a little bit like all his films. Um, pacing is such a weird thing in his films. They all kind of lag or they all kind of drag a little bit as you watch them. But another thing I appreciate that he did is he kept this one at a shorter running time. So um, there's a lot that I admire about this movie, especially compared to him coming off of Love 3D, which was kind of like uh, just like an overwrought sort of flabby and indulgent film. This one is indulgent in the style, and that's never going to go away, I think, with his films. But man, it, it, uh, it woke me up in the beginning. And then as it descended into the nightmare, um, it, it didn't lose me necessarily, but uh, 
I really appreciated the newness of that beginning of the film. I've seen it twice now. And I remember um, as it starts after the epilogue prologue disorientation and the, the sort of like actual linear section of the movie begins like in, in sequence essentially. Mm-hmm. And we get to the dance, like kind of extravaganza and seeing all that incredible choreography and that unbroken shot. That's so virtuosic. Um, I remember thinking like, does it need to go to hell the first time I saw it, you know, and just being like, <laughs> maybe it could just stay here. Cause this is so hypnotic and so transfixing just to stay in this like zone of like moving camera work. And like what we were talking about before, like earlier in this episode, and we, I think we talked about on the actual love 3d episode itself was that like, you know, the last time he worked with professional actors with, you know, Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci, mm-hmm. like that they capably carried, irreversible and it made elevated that movie beyond just it's sort of a overwhelming endurance test. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you were just mm-hmm. kind of like hampered and you, the movie was kind of like hindered by these like limited performances. But in this film, he may have like people who are not used to being traditional dramatic actors, but they lead with all of their physicality and their character where it comes from their like, their, their choreography and their movement and they're just like rootedness in their bodies. Yeah. So it's like all of it, you know, even though they have to hit these like incredible histrionic notes as things like devolve into a hellishness, they're all completely capable. And it's like, it is essentially a musical because music never stops yeah. throughout the, the, it's the pulse of the nightmare and the pulse of like the dramatic arc of the movie but like you're following all of these, these people. And I I think it's, you know, in like also in line with irreversible, it's the most capably performed film, you know, since that one. And yeah, just like, I, I think the second time seeing it, the nightmare section wasn't nearly as it wasn't pleasant, uh, but like I, I felt its length the first time, whereas I didn't, The second time, like okay. I was more, I was more kind of like in line with how he was doing what he was doing and like that being sort of dazzling. And, you know, we, we've talked, it became a, a catchphrase last year at some point, the, what gift are you giving when you're sort <laughs> of like punishing an audience and like causing right. them to endure something. And like, I think the gift as unpleasant as things get in this film is like, the just the virtuosity right. of like there he he is someone who is constantly uh breaking things in order to show you something new like he will pummel you he will overwhelm you he will disorient you at every turn in an attempt to like show you something that like re like is is life affirming even if that's horrifying right. you know like and there's there's all these like chapter breaks that are kind of <laughs> like that. Like, life is an impossibility. Death, um, death is a beautiful thing, a beautiful experience, or something like that. Yes, yeah, something along those lines. These title cards just pop up at random times in the movie. It definitely made me laugh. Where sometimes it's hard to tell with a Gaspar Noé film, and again, in all his films, is he taking the piss right now? Like, is he? Is he just fucking with us? Is he trying to be funny? I've always kind of liked that. I think it adds attention to his filmmaking. 
Um, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand with the virtuosic camera work, you know, the, like, cause first and foremost, um, I think he's an exciting surface level director. I don't think there's always a lot of, there, there's not always a ton to like dig into with his films. I just think as experiential cinema, he's one of the, still a very exciting filmmaker and, uh, climax is no different. Like these movies belong in a cinema and yet he's not a big, well-known filmmaker, you know, outside of like hardcore festival or cinephile crowds. He, his movies tend to only play in art houses for a brief time, but it's like, he belongs in a cinema. And, uh, I love that about his work. And I think that's the most exciting thing about him. Like, the the these like I can just enjoy his movies on that very virtuosic uh, surface level, like the style, the camera work, which is just the camera does things in his movies that you just don't see, basically in any other movie. Um, and I think his influence has like rippled from there. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's I, I really appreciate that aspect of his film, and I think climax works so well because he's basically just leaning into that. I think there are actually other things to dig into with climax that might've been unintentional. Like by all reports in these interviews, I've been reading with Gaspar Noé uh, around the release of this movie is he seems to deny any attempt at somebody trying to dig into under the surface of what this movie might be, you know, metaphorically getting at, but doesn't really matter. There are actual things to dig into in climax beyond the, what I would say is a pretty glorious surface level of style that on its own as an experiential, like thing to do at the cinema, you know, like it's, uh, it's pretty top right there. Um, but I do think there are other things to dig into with the movie as well. When I saw it at beyond fest on first viewing it, like it kind of just seemed like a, an isolated capsuled experience of this, like nightmare of, you know, what existence is like, but on second viewing, you know, kind of in, in reference to what we're talking about, about confrontational art and how it like, you know, life has become so hectic and caustic. Maybe it always has, but at least there was the, the, the illusion of, of politeness that since has been abandoned and discourse nowadays, but like there, there was something about watching it the second time climax about Mm. how like you have these people in this enclosed space you know people from like all walks of life and like you know all all variety of types of people and they're all all of a sudden in their kind of own private hallucinations (laughs) as things are escalating Mm -hmm. turning on each other right and it was just like i don't know that like that's a pretty accurate uh, like, cause, cause we're all coming from our own individualized private perspective. And it seems like even people who fundamentally are on the same side with each other are pitted against one another now. So yes. it's just like, I saw a lot of social relevance on second viewing this time. Yeah. Bodies just pitted against each other in this sort of like escalating nightmare where like sense seems to be slipping away from us. Right. There's no, there's no collective sense of a reality we share and everyone's lost in their own sort of like private hallucinations. (laughs) It can (laughs) kind of feel like that at times Mm -hmm. because no, like there, there's such a fragmented sense of like a shared reality anymore. Right. 
And there's a tragic element too of like, they built something beautiful together in the beginning, right? Like they created this incredible dance sequence. So even though that is just this surface level pleasure I was getting at, at like a cinematic pleasure to just watch bodies move like that, Mm -hmm. it actually is weighted with a lot of meaning and whether Gaspar meant it or not. And they made this movie incredibly fast. Like I think it was shot over like 15 days Right. Mostly improvised. He he just kind of went from there, edited the movie, and boom, it was, you know, at the Cannes Film Festival. So I think he might not have had time to to really dig into that stuff or even think about it. But I think it's all there, yeah. And and the um the movie in those credits insists uh upon its it's very enthusiastic, it's proud of being a French film. It says like a French production and proud of it, I think, in the credits, right. which I loved that. And it and then you've got the massive French flag sort of uh draped on the wall. It's always kind of framed where they're dancing behind the DJ table. Yeah. I think that's all really, really potent. And it could be very strictly a French uh a French thing he's going for a French societal thing, but it, I think it works like, you know, anywhere at this point in time, I think you're, you're nailing that is like, uh, that these people from all different walks of life, all these disparate characters that should be, you know, they want to build something together can so easily be undone. And they are walking around in their own private little hallucinations. Like, I think it's a really strong metaphor and it helped. It helps the darkness go down a little easier. Like, the descent into hell makes more sense. It doesn't just feel like a Gaspar Noé trick or something he would just do. Um, that's where I think a lot of what this movie's power is coming from. I think that's what people are responding to is they actually might see a point for going through it with, with yeah. his films. And, you know, Gaspar is one of those main directors, uh, like like a Lars von Trier or a Harmony Korine, where people that don't like them often will ask, what's the point of that? Well, you it's hard to there there seems to be a point with climax so um i think that might be why people are responding to it but yeah i i i I couldn't help but uh it's hard not to dig into all that stuff it's there it's right there in the film um and i think it's really strong it's really well well realized yeah i think that his like his slipperiness and aversion to having it be a direct reference to something specific is just an attempt to not tether it to uh, some something like impermanent, you know, like right. he, he he just doesn't want it to like sink in terms of relevance. He wants it to be a sort of open-ended artistic statement on, you know, existence possibly, but like doesn't necessarily want to tether it to, you know, a, a, a current political moment that will shift and therefore its relevance will wane, you know, like it's understandable, but it's yeah. also like there's, there's, there's something about, these berserk narratives right now that like <laughs> in certain movies, because I thought about, you know, a movie I didn't even necessarily like, but like mother, you know, mm-hmm. the Darren Aronofsky film where it's like, you're following uh, a movie, you know, and have a sort of general understanding of what's happening. And then it goes berserk, you know, for like, for a purpose, you know, and um, a movie like, uh, First Reformed, also another A24 movie, because A24 is putting out Climax. Yeah. Um, like, it doesn't necessarily... It goes berserk, I think, in the last 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, there's just something about, like, how, how do you accurately encapsulate existing right now without, 
addressing how things seem aggressively out of control and like speeding up and accelerating to the point of not making any sense and feeling nightmarishly like out of hand, you know, like, and I, I think the movies that do that, like there's, there's an unease of like leaving the realm of reality, but that's what being alert nowadays feels like that we're out of the realm of reality. And like, I think these, these movies as uneasy as they are to sit with are uh, unfortunately a really accurate reflection. And like climax is like an incredibly uh, generously virtuosic depiction of that you know, of things speeding up and out of control. And like, you know, if like, if you're not up for the the punishment of what this movie kind of delivers, mm. I I've, there's, there's a, a, a friend of mine who who's a dancer who was interested in seeing the movie. And I was like, I don't know that you're up for the second half, but I honestly would recommend her paying full price to watch the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And then like leave before things go to hell. <laughs> you got to You got to catch the, I would tell her to leave after the overhead dance sequence. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like a yeah, montage before the opening credits, yes. which are come midway through the movie, which got a full <laughs> applause break at beyond fest. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. There was only about three p- critics in my screening, but everybody chuckled at that point too. Um, for sure. Uh, but I would have loved to have, I want to see that crowd reaction to it. Cause this movie, like a lot of his stuff is going to get reaction, you know, it's reactionary stuff. Like people are going to respond to it. Um, yeah. but no, I don't disagree. I think your friend would actually feel like they got their money's worth from that first 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think that goodwill that that's like, that incredibly executed sequence earns you though will compel people to sit through the rest. Even if that becomes like hellish for them, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) it's true. It it makes me wonder if Gaspar, and again, maybe this is just a product of the speed with which this movie was created that like, there probably wasn't a lot of time to think about what they were doing necessarily. And sometimes you just create something that, that, has like that we as the audience just take our own ideas from that we're not intentioned but it maybe maybe Gaspar's moving towards like this movie certainly has his stamp all over it in terms of being provocative pushing buttons uh fucking with the audience and also you know showing you some grisly stuff like there's some things that are you know hard you, you just you sense the where it's going right away and like just the dread that it mm-hmm. induces in you it's all there, but I do feel like this is him starting to adjust into a different mode. And like, maybe it was just finding these incredible dancers and being so taken by them that like it opened up something new where he, he gave us a gift, right? Like he, that is the gift he was giving in this movie. Um, and it's, I mean, if we're not talking about at least those sequences at the end of the year, then like, it's been a really memorable year for movies, you know? Um, yeah. Cause it, again, I, I think that that dance stuff is, is probably the most exciting stuff he's put on camera and he's done some incredible things, uh, uh, on film. So yeah. Yeah, man. Not to mention the possession homage. Where, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the, what's, what's arguably the main character, the choreographer of like the, the piece of the beginning, she has a, a freak out akin to Isabella Johnny and possession, the tunnel sequence where she's like, 
thrashing her groceries around and writhing on the floor, um, <laughs> which possession I think is something it's, it's literally one of the, uh, videos that's a, a column of videotapes during the interview sequence during the documentary opening of mm-hmm. climax there's a, a a list of videos alongside the screen that we're watching the interviews on uh possession is one of them solo is another one yeah um, so these these are films that are kind of like have been a constant informing presence on his work and like the that specific homage to possession is is itself a gift it is like, yeah and like there in that's during what's arguably the most like punishing stretch of the film where there's just like an overlap of like screams and just pushing things to the brink of instability and insanity <laughs> and like her performance is one hypnotic two totally like just transfixing and three also very funny like it's very she's, funny <laughs> she's freaking out and she's like she freaks out at her own reflection at one point which is hilarious and uh she puts yeah, her hands like, in her tights and thinks it's her skin or whatever like it, it, there's yeah, cho- yeah. choices made that had to have just been purely you know Intuitive like and, yeah, exactly yeah. as the actor she's performing this bizarre range of movements and this freak out yeah and, and just to land on something like that. I was, I, I mean, I was, I was loving that too. Um, that, that's the one, uh, familiar actress in the movie, Sophia Butella. She's in like atomic blonde. And, um, she was in the mummy movie with Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. She, she is an incredible dancer herself. Um, so I see how she fit into this movie, but yeah, man, I mean that Isabella Johnny's scene is you know for the people that have seen possession that is an all-time memorable sequence that you yeah. remember when you see that film uh but yeah i'd say i'd say the homage does it right you know she she did right by it and uh made it her own uh but yeah i i, I kind of loved that the little like winks here and there to movies that he has cited as his favorites or films that really meant something to him um i believe in one of the one of the other vhs tapes that's stacked there in the beginning is it's a title called Schizophrenic, which I think was the French title for Angst, that uh, yeah. Austrian movie that we we've talked about on the show. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's there's clearly like that. He still has that sort of cinephile homage heavy thing that he's into, and it's right there in those in in the the the, the stack of tapes in, in the beginning of the movie. But I even felt the like influence of of some other movies. Um, I recently watched. Um, there's a DCP restoration of I am Cuba. That's, that's gone around some art houses and I got to see it last week. Um, and this is for anybody that doesn't know, it is a crazy, uh, like mid sixties. It's a Russian, uh, documentary about Cuba. Uh, but it's just purely like a propaganda piece. Um, but what makes it really, really interesting is the incredible camera work in it. Like there are some shots that like PTA has referenced in Boogie Nights from I Am Cuba. There's just this acrobatic camera work. The camera is very much expressive and is very much a character in that film. And it was just, it was very nice overlap to have seen that and then go see a Gaspar Noé movie and realize like he must have seen I Am Cuba and really took to that for his own style because I can just enjoy that surface pleasure. If it's so acrobatic, if it's so impressive and out there, the way the camera can tell a story, like I can enjoy that on its own. And um, yeah, I guess it was just a fitting movie to have seen before I dove into a, to another Gaspar Noé joint um, for sure. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think the references are there, but again, what makes Climax work, I think, is that um, it's just that there's like an entertainment value that hasn't really existed in his other movies as much. That's uh, that's definitely there in this one, and also stuff that that's working on another level. So, yeah, I think that he's always you know been interested in pushing people to brinks, but there's there's been less. I guess Love was like a an attempt to. Uh, you know, explore something a little warmer and less like caustic and kind of death centric than his (laughs) previous films. Like I stand alone, irreversible and enter the void Enter the void was a transition into something a little more kind of like hallucinatory and ponderous in terms of existence. But like, uh, you know, love was in a, an attempt at something like warm, you know, and, (laughs) And I think this is like a weird return to uh, an edge and an aggression while delivering a a genuine sense of kind of like joy and celebration, even if that celebration cascades into a nightmare, like not not long after the movie starts. It's true. It's true. You know, there's there's another thing, too, about like a lot of the dancers, the, the people that he found and cast in this movie, I... I really appreciate like everybody has a look that feels unique to cinema. Like you don't see people that look like this in many ways. When I say that, like that you just don't see them on camera very often. And to see it all mixed together, like everybody has a look that is atypical of, you know, Sophia Butella looks like a movie actress, you know, she's traditionally kind of pretty. The rest of them are just this like scattershot group of like, like everybody has their own style and vibe dancing style, but also like they all just look their way. And I love that. Like there's like an embrace of like everybody is who they is. And like he, he let them be themselves in the movie and like, why not? Everybody has such a character already there um, that so much of it. Like I came to appreciate just the, the sort of simple pleasure of like bodies in motion and just like appreciating what people can create, you know? And mm-hmm. some of that stuff is so stunning that again, it really makes the movie work in a sort of tragic sense where it's like, gosh, they, they did, they built something beautiful. These people, all these people from disparate parts and cultures. Uh, but as soon as like they start going into their own heads of the hallucination and all that, like the infighting begins and, uh, they they have each other's interest in mind, or they're all technically on the same side, but they're they're breaking apart. And yeah, um, yeah, I, I do agree. I think I think it I think the descent into hell is is very fitting in this movie. Um, but also that beginning is so good that I you know it I understand that feeling of like couldn't it just be this for an entire movie? But uh, I like I like that he, he you know he took it somewhere else. It couldn't just be you know, static. He had to, he had to evolve the story and it, 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 uh, or devolve maybe is the better way to put it. But, uh, it's, it's a hell of a ride to go on. I mean, anytime I get done with a Gaspar, Gaspar Noé movie, I always feel like I've been through something and that still has, holds a lot of value for me as a a person who likes to go to the theater and see movies. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, again, here we go. Uh, 2019, the year of the tough sell, but I think that like, (laughs) that's mostly uh, a, a tough sell for most people. They don't want to invite more trauma into their life than they already sort of have. And like his movies do reorient you through disorientation. They force you to sort of like recalibrate by constantly disrupting your experience, whether it's like turning a camera upside down, whether it's like, you know, 
reversing a movie essentially in chronological order, like out of that order. Like he's, he's constantly asking you to like find your place in a shifting reality by disrupting and disorienting your senses. And he has such a gift for doing that while still delivering something beautiful, even if it's a nightmare, you know, that like, I think he's, he's one of like, he's a virtuoso and he's like, I understand if he seems like, there's something macho in his like, uh, you know, style wizardry and like how that would be off putting. There's just like a machismo to it. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite parts of the love 3d like premiere I saw in LA was that Roland Emmerich was at this, was at the premiere. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. He pursues this. Like, right. He's like at this point, you know, maybe, or, you know, maybe, you know, 10, 10 or so years ago, he was like a conventional commercial filmmaker. He was one of the ones, yeah. you know, that was like, like he would be, he was a blockbuster director. Mm-hmm. Like he directed uh, Independence Day, just all these movies that were like traditional spectacle centric movies. And like the fact that he is into Gaspar No is like, that's so like, endearing to me yeah <laughs> that like this he pursues he like he needs that edge he needs to see people pushing the visual form to it's like to a brink you know mm-hmm. and that's that's very lovable for it me. is lovable yeah you want to see those directors like who do they go to see right like the the, the yeah. very few like that that says a lot and that's where i think gaspar has his influence is going to be there in the filmmaking. It's so undeniable. It like gives other filmmakers ideas like, Oh, I could turn the camera upside down. You know, he's not the first filmmaker to do that. It's just the way he has like pushed things with the technology we have now and the smaller cameras and stuff like that. Like it's just, I I think you're going to see the influence loom large. So, you know, who knows Roland Emmerich's next, next movie. It, It might be, it might be a 3D porn movie. Who knows, dude? <laughs> Could be in a volcano. <laughs> in a volcano, exactly. Starring the Rock. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well, what do you say? Should we wrap it up? Or is there anything else you wanted to add about uh, climax before we sign off? Um, no, I, th- I think I think we're pretty good. I mean, if if you're if you're up for it, please do. And if you're not up for it, watch the first 20 minutes. Exactly. Give- <laughs> still help the movie's box office. I want to see stuff like this go to theaters still. So yes. Um, do yeah. So just chill to the next episode. All right, let's do it. Uh, episode 199 of adjust your tracking. That's what this has been. You've just listened to it and uh, thank you for listening to it. You can find our ep- other episodes at the playlist.net and the other episodes of our other podcast. Just click on the podcast tab there on the main page. You can email us at adjust your tracking at gmail.com. If you like, that would be lovely. Uh, rate review, share uh, these episodes. If you're so inclined Uh, We'd be very thankful, but uh, not as thankful as I am to uh, sit down and talk with you, Joe. Thanks for talking. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) 